My name is Matt McElroy. I'm competing in the Olympics for Team USA and triathlon. KT tape has been really awesome. The biggest use I've gotten out of it is supporting the muscles on a daily basis. For me, when you're doing three different disciplines, your body gets extremely sore and you really need to eat healthy. You need to recover smart, both mentally and physically. And I think at the end of the day, whether it's your Achilles, your low back, your hamstring, your knee, you know, patella tendonitis, KT tape's gonna come in handy. Welcome to episode number 55 of Golf Pod Kentucky, presented by KT Tape. My name is Ethan Fisher, and on this episode, I am accompanied by our 2022 champion of the Kentucky Open, Mr. Patrick Newcomb. We will be discussing a lot of his victory at Persimmon Ridge late in July, along with the trials and tribulations of his professional career. He's from Marshall County, originally played college golf at Murray State. Now he's been all over the globe playing professionally. We will document all that in this episode. Before we get into that interview, I do just want to document the fact that Kentucky golf is absurdly good, especially in the younger age category, as we've talked about in the past. My knowledge, just in one month of high school golf this year, there have been multiple course records broken. Luke Coyle did so at the newly designed Park Mammoth. Michael Long did it at Noble Mead not too long ago. I wouldn't be surprised if there are other ones out there, and if so, please let me know. I might have missed it. But as we've said many times before on here, and as I'm sure we'll say plenty of times going forward, it is a testament to the junior golfers, their families, and the professionals all across Kentucky who do their part in making golf so competitive at the younger age group. The high school season is going to be fascinating to watch unfold as we get closer to state in early October. As was the case last year, hopefully we'll have uh, state champions from Bowling Green on this podcast, but just wanted to make mention of that. It's super cool seeing this happen, and there's a lot of credit that deserves to be thrown around, so props to everyone involved with that. Patrick Newcomb, he was a great junior golfer himself back in the day. Now he's doing cool things like winning the Kentucky Open and traveling all across the world playing golf. So let's go ahead and learn a little bit more about our champion of the 103rd Kentucky Open. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Patrick Newcomb onto the podcast. He is one of about a dozen individuals to ever win both the Men's State Open and Men's State Amateurs, so in very elite company. Patrick, what's up, man? Thank you for being here. Uh, thanks for thanks for having me, man. I appreciate it. Uh, I was excited to get on. Uh, we've been kind of going back and forth the last few, last couple of weeks trying to get this get this worked out, but but I'm glad I could do it. Yeah, we talked before we hit the record button about just how busy your year's been in terms of where you've traveled and where you'll be going in the near future. But I want to start out with the Kentucky Open. Uh, certainly a big moment in your career and. We'll dive into the step-by-step process of how that week played out for you. But before we do that, I just want to get the emotions of what it's like to win this thing because you've come close several times before. I 
looked in the past and you came sixth in 2021, sixth in 2020, and then you were low AM way back in 2011. And I think you were sixth that year as well. So there have been some close calls for you in this event. What does it feel like to finally have it in your possession? Um, it, you know, it feels, uh, it feels good. I, it was, you know, I, I had a busy schedule this year as we talked about and, uh, you know, I just wanted the only reason I came back cause I've, I've always wanted to win the open. And, um, I, you know, I've even on years, I've even came back and qualified for it. Like if I haven't been able to play it the year before, cause of scheduling, um, I think a couple years ago I had to qualify for it during, I think COVID. So, uh, it was amazing. It was kind of a relief. Like I said, I said in the interview um, after the tournament, it's more of a relief, like, cause I've been right there. And, you know, every time I play, you know, fortunate enough, I'm, you know, one of the favorites to win it. And, you know, I get asked about it before the tournament come, you know, the week's coming up and, uh, but it was really nice. And my family could be there uh, to support me too. Cause they don't get to watch me play much golf. Cause I play all around the country and even around the globe. Right. Now, one thing that was really unique about this championship, I thought, was with the weather forecasted the way it was, we really didn't know what kind of cards we were going to be dealt each day. And I, I think it's going to go down as the biggest shock of the year that we were able to get that tournament in on schedule, given the way the forecast looked at the start of the week. But it really went through my mind during that first round on that Tuesday that you know, it might just be an 18 hole tournament if the weather forecast held up the way it was looking. Was there any sort of enhanced urgency when you went into each round knowing that, you know, this first round could be it, it could be a 36 hole event. Did you feel that at all? No, I, I didn't uh, think about it really at all that week. It was more about just, um, you just really want to finish your rounds, right? So you don't want to come back in the morning. And I had to do that my second round um come back and yeah before the second round after the first mm -hmm. round i had to come back in the morning and finish um a hole and then kind of go back out you you want to just have your routine you know get up but i had to get up warm up to play a hole and then i had like a 45 minute hour break before i teed off again so i wasn't really worried about the weather more other than that fact um you, you just kind of plan the course as it uh comes you know persimmon ridges a tough track and you really can only you know take what it gives you you can't really force it around that place because you can make bogeys in a hurry sure and with that first round going into the second round you were tied for the lead when we closed the door on day one and then during your second round i believe you got maybe four shots out in front after you made eagle on 18 which was your ninth hole but then that back nine the front nine of persimmon ridge kind of got you and put you behind the eight ball going into that last round. Uh, what exactly happened in terms of just kind of letting a few shots slip away? And when you went to bed on that Wednesday night, did you think that you still had a shot to win the next day? Well, the back nine, uh, I'm, I think I'm, I think on the corn Ferry tour, um, I was uh, top five in driving. Actually, I was number one for most of the season, one or two. And I drove the ball just so bad that second nine, just a fluke thing, hit it in some terrible spots off the tee. And 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 to be honest, when I finished, I thought I was going to be okay. And then when I was watching the scores in the afternoon and Kyle made his run, Kyle's a great player, Kyle Wilshire, I, I was just like, 
might be too far because you can't, like I said, you can't force it around persimmon. There's some scoring holes, but there's long stretches where you just have to hit it to 20 feet, especially where some of the flags were. And, you know, I would just have to have a hot putter the last day um, or lots of help. Um, and so I kind of thought I lost it after that afternoon. I was like, man, man, cause I can't force it tomorrow. I can't, I can't force it tomorrow. Cause you can't, you can just make bogeys left and right out there. Um, not so many big numbers, but you can just make bogeys left and right by missing short sided and attacking the flags where they were. So I kind of, I did kind of think it was over. I was like, man, another, you know, came up short again, but uh, you know, I came out and, you know, Kyle had a tough day and opened the door and I took advantage of it. For sure. And I'm recalling that last round of yours and you really just plotted along at a pretty steady rate. I don't remember any instances when you had a, like a major opportunity to make bogey. I know there were a couple of decent sized par putts from maybe like the eight feet, eight foot, 10 foot range that you had to hold. But you were bogey-free during that round, and like I said, you just steadily potted along with four birdies along the way. And when you got to the 10th hole, you took the lead outright for the first time. But given the psychology of everything that had taken place, how do you how do you compartmentalize when you go from being in that chase mindset to all of a sudden, literally in the span of a hole, when Kyle had that tough fourth hole, you – are vaulted right at or near the lead. Is that a difficult thing to process for you at this point in your career, or how do you handle that? Well, to, um, it was it was a bit of a shock, um, but uh, the, what really happened when that happened on the fourth hole, um, I had a birdie putt, and he was met, making a mess of the fourth hole, and I had a birdie putt, and he it took a long time because he was you know he was in some bad spots and took a little bit of time and and i was close i'd hit i'd hit in there to about eight feet maybe not even eight feet um had a really good look and i had to wait for a while for him to do it and then another guy in our group you know he had to play as well because i was inside everybody and at that point i was more just thinking um like stay focused Cause I was, I mean, I was sitting there for a while, just standing there on the green, waiting, waiting to play. And when I went to the fifth tee, I told myself, um, just keep leaning on him and see what happens. Don't try to go win this. Like just keep leaning on him, keep hitting fairways and greens and just see, see if he can see if he'll, if he can bounce back from this or if it's going to shake him. And that's, that's what I did. I just kept plotting fairways, greens, the place is pretty self-explanatory of, like I said, you have to just take what it gives you. And when you get a short club or a good number, you can attack. But the rest of the time, you just kind of have to knock it on the green and make your par. Right. And I thought one juncture that was particularly important and just fascinating to watch overall was on the 15th, the par five back there. I think you were one ahead of Kyle at that point, I believe Troutman was maybe two back of you at that point, maybe even one behind. But nevertheless, you and Kyle, you had both kind of gone a little farther right off the tee than where you want to go on that hole. And Kyle was the first one to go, and he had a fairway wood in his hands, and I'm standing directly behind both of you. 
and I'm looking at this and I don't exactly remember how far away y'all would have been, but fairway wood distance. And I remember thinking that it was a really bold shot to try to get that on the green from where you guys were. And as I said, Kyle was going first. He had fairway wood out in his hand. And then he decided at the very last second that he was going to switch to a wedge or a short iron, lay up, try to make birdie the hard way. And then you did basically the exact same thing 30 seconds later. So who knows what could have happened if you went for it or he went for it. But does that particular moment stand out in your head at all just in terms of what the strategy was and how things could have played out differently maybe if you had tried to go for it? Yes, it did. And like I said, when that was the first moment of the golf tournament where I had gotten away from, I just, on the second day on the back nine, you know, I just hit the, I just drove the ball poorly. Like that happens. It didn't, it wasn't a mental sign. You know, I just made some bad swings. Um, and that happens, but the, that was the first time in the fairway on 15 or the right rough. I was just in the right rough that I was getting out of my whole motto for playing persimmon, which was, like I said, fairways green, take what it gives you. And I was trying to force something there and I had the club out for a while. And I was like, you know, and I finally came through, I guess. And I was like, Pat, just lay it up, just lay it up down there and, and try to hit it in there close and see what happens because there's so much golf left. You could just blow this thing up right now with a bad swing, and it was a tough shot anyways. Um, so, yeah, I, that that hole, I mean, that hole made the golf tournament. I mean, the golf tournament, that it was over. At, when that hole happened, it pretty much sealed the deal if I just played solid coming home, even three pars. It was going to be hard for him to catch me um, after he made bogey, laid up and made bogey, and I laid up and made birdie. It was, you know, I, and also I didn't even know, I wasn't really looking at um, trauma. I didn't even know that he had made a move either. So I, I was just playing Kyle heads up and yeah, that hole was, that hole, that hole was everything that I've been working on with my mental game over the last few years to make a decision, the right decision. And, uh, oh, it felt good. It felt good to, to talk myself out of, doing something really stupid because i almost did something really stupid yeah and it it worked out uh like i mentioned both of you laid up in the fairway i think kyle was the first one to hit his third and he hit it just a couple yards too far over that green and you hit what i think was maybe your best shot of the day just stuff one into two or three feet and making an easy birdie while kyle was unable to get up and down and make bogey like you said that was a huge turning point but three holes later it's a uh, not the exact same situation because of where you were on the 18th fairway, but I remember being kind of stunned when I saw that you pulled a fairway wood out on the 18th hole when you had maybe, I'd estimate 240, 250 left in that green. Um, what was the difference in your mind going for it on 18 compared to on 15? Now, again, you had the you had a lie from the fairway, pretty clear view of the green, but at that point, all you needed, I think, was six or seven to get it done. So what made you want to pull fairwood out there? Um, it was about as good of a number as I think I could have gotten in the fairway for a fairway wood. And the wind was off the right. Um, and I hit a cut. My miss is, is, is you know, a leak, a shot that leaks to the right. And 
my most comfortable shot is probably a 10 to 15 yard cut with a three wood full three wood with like a 10 yard 15 yard cut and with that wind it was just going to be about as perfect of a shot as i could hit it was blowing about 10 off the right so if i started at the left fringe and i cut it like i want the wind will hold it you know it'll come down the green if i pull it then it's just a i'm you know middle left of the green easy chip it was it was better than me hitting a uh layup and then hitting a awkward shot into that top shelf pin from 100 yards to the soft greens i could spin it back down the slope i could miss long mm-hmm. it just took all that out of play it just if i blasted it up by the green i just didn't hit it in the water you know uh it was i could chip it on to 20 feet at worst and you know get get out of there it was it, a lot of it was how soft the green was i didn't want to lay it up to 100 yards and rip it back down the ridge so uh, if it landed on the green as soft as they were, it was going to sit with the fairway wood. So it was a, it was pretty, it was, it was the play. It was the, it was the best play in that situation for sure. And it was kind of easier with the, with the cushion I had as well. For sure. Now, one other thing I noticed about your golf game watching you that week was before you hit putts, you have a little routine where you kind of, I don't really know how to describe it. It's almost like you kind of mock lobbing the golf ball to the hole with your arm. Can you kind of give me the backstory on where that came about and how that helps you before you hit a putt? So my caddy, Preston French, um, who's from Kentucky, he's played in the open and uh, we went to Murray State together. Um, he would do that. And and he was, we. he's the only one that really works with my putting. And even before he caddy for me, when I would come home, if I was struggling my putting, he's the only one that would help me out. And it, and he he has done it before. And the what I'm doing is I'm it's like I have unlimited balls, you know, golf balls in my hand, and I'm just rolling one after another, like you see on, you know, computers or or the tracks on on TV. And it's just one ball after another. It's just I just keep rolling the ball until I see the line, until I see the ball go in the hole where I'm looking. So that's, that's what it is. It's more of a visualization, um, you know, because you can roll a ball and keep rolling a ball and you're just like, man, that keeps missing low. And it's just something that we've, uh, we've worked on and it's more of a visualization thing. It's really helped me uh, gather speed. And I started doing it two weeks before in Springfield, Illinois was the first time I did it. And I finished fourth on the corn ferry tour. And it just kind of was, it's just kind of become a part of my routine. Um, you know, it helps me with pace. It helps me with a lot of things, just visualization. Interesting. Yeah. I like that. That makes a lot of sense, but I've, I've maybe heard a couple of instructors talk about it in the past, like just as a drill, but I'd never seen someone incorporate it during their routine on the putting green. So that's fascinating. That's really cool stuff. And kind of on the similar line of thought, just in terms of, maybe breakthroughs with your own golf game. I was trying to look through your career year by year and see if I can maybe identify a point where you hit a, a big springboard and leapt on to bigger things. When you look back on your golfing career, and this could go as far back as your junior days, is there any one swing tip or thing that's incorporated into your game that you think has really helped propel you to become one of the best players in the state? Um. I think the biggest 
moment was probably when I went, my dad was my coach for ever till I was like 17. I hadn't had a golf lesson from any instructor till I was 17 years old. And, and I was a good player. Um, I could shoot some low numbers, but I was, I wasn't, I was pretty consistent, but I wasn't like consistent of a 17 year old where, you know, I could still go out and shoot 70, 76 on not that hard of a golf course. Like if I just wasn't, if I just didn't have it that day. And I went and saw Todd Trimble. Um, uh, he was there in Paducah, uh, you know, local guy and great instructor. He's one teacher of the year and, um, you know, Kentucky PGA section. And mm-hmm. uh, uh, he, uh, you know, he, he just, I did, I had, he just really simplified it and got it down to basic fundamentals that I didn't have in my golf swing. Um, I had a pretty good golf swing, but he started changing things and it was getting better and better and better. And then my sophomore year, it was really good. And then I had to change my grip in college. I changed my grip and I struggled for about four months. And then when the grip, I finally got comfortable with my grip change. I won the state am like I switched putters and then won the state am that summer, the first state am I won. And I, so I guess you would have to say Todd Trimble, but the grip change, uh, when I won my first state am at Kearney Hills, when I, when I got comfortable with that, it took about four or five months. Um, and, got comfortable the everything was pretty much done my golf swing hasn't really changed that much since then so probably the grip change um helped me just become so much more consistent along with all the other fundamentals he did but mainly just um the grip change and how i delivered the club to the ball made me become the great driver of the golf ball that i am with accuracy and that's what's led me to play so well very cool and it's translated into a pretty successful professional career for you. And it's hard to believe you're approaching almost a decade now of playing as a pro. But <laughs> don't remind me. <laughs> just to uh, just to kind of summarize it real quick, I think it's been illuminated so much more in recent years how much of a struggle it can be to grind your way up if you're if you've got the dream of playing on the PGA Tour. You've played all over North America, Latin America, South America. You're going to Europe later this fall. Uh, what has the grind been like? How have you dealt with the emotions of you know, trying to get up there? And you've had a couple of PGA Tour starts. Uh, how, how is it dealing with all this? I mean, it's, it's not easy. Um, I always tell people it's not what everyone thinks it is, but it's still the best job in the world. That's... That's how that's how I usually describe it to people. Uh, it, it's not all fun and games. It's when I travel to places. I'm not. It's not a vacation. Um, you know, I, I go see. You know, go see a few things like anyone does at work. You know, after work hours. But most of the time, it's it's golf course. You know, golf course. You know, food. Maybe relax. Maybe go see a physio. Um, and then dinner and then you go to bed and then you just do it all over again. It's, you know, a traveling circus is essentially what we are. So it's the best job in the world. I, I wouldn't want to do anything else, but it's, it's definitely not easy. And it's, I've had some pretty low points and I've had some struggles and it seems like my career it's every time I've been about to the end of run out of money or, or, you know, it's feeling like it's going to be over. 
I've been fortunate enough to, I always, the game always comes together, you know, almost when I'm at the breaking point and I win a tournament and it, you know, catapults me into, you know, some good play for a stretch and, but golf's a hard game and it's, and the, the travel and the grind of playing mini tours and, and trying to get to the PJ tour is, is no joke. Not everybody's so good at, there are so many good players at so many levels. Uh, I can name off a bunch of guys that if, that I play with over the years that aren't playing anymore that were unbelievable. And so it, it's just, it's a struggle and it's a, it's a long road. That's for sure. Yeah. And not, not to remind you again, but you're 32 years old now and not getting any younger and golf is unquestionably at this point, a young person's game with the amount of college players who are quickly turning pro and having success. Have you thought at all about how much longer you want to continue to grind with it? I don't, I don't have a plan B. Um, <laughs> uh, if you, I, I mean, I, I think that if you have a plan B, once you start thinking about plan B out here, playing at this level with as good as everyone is, uh, you pretty much might as well just stop playing. It's, it's like the, the old saying with, uh, you know, football players, once they start talking about retirement, they're pretty much done. Um, so it's kind of like that in this game. You gotta, you gotta love the travel. Um, you gotta love the grind. Um, you gotta love the process and sleep in hotel beds. And I still love it. I got to a point where I almost didn't. Um, and I didn't play for a little bit over a winter. And, you know, I was like, I'm going to give it one more year. And that was, that was right before I had the, one of the best years of my career in 2017. And, you know, it's just, uh, there's nothing, there's nothing better than winning the golf tournament. There's no better feeling in the world than finishing on 19 and knowing that you beat everyone in the field that week. Yeah. Now, going back to your college days, I, I think it's interesting. It's really hit me this year how good of a golfing school Murray State is. And when you look at it, like you've got yourself, Jared Wolf went there. It's quietly got a really good track record at producing talent. And it's not super far from where you grew up when you were a kid. But what was it about Murray State that made you want to go there? And what was your overall experience like being with the racers? Well, the biggest thing was um, my brother transferred back from Louisville. And that, and that, you know, the program was a solid program, and there were some good players that came through there. And there was, um, you know, Jared was Jared was already at Louisville. Or was, was, or Jared was, you know, from Louisville, but already at Murray State. And Nick had went to Louisville, and he came back. Um, you know, didn't 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 enjoy uh, being at Louisville and playing on the team. And so he transferred back home to Murray State and that changed the whole culture and the whole dynamic of that program. Um, as soon as he came in his first year in uh, there, he won the Ohio Valley tournament. Uh, conference tournament was all conference. And then after that next year, they should they should have won a title. There was some crazy rulings and and a player got DQ'd and it was a whole thing and they lost by a shot. And then we won it my freshman year and I went there to go play with him. And, you know, I think, I think Nick was the big, biggest part that, you know, my brother won a player of the year and, you know, Jerry was a, you know, all conference player. And we had Cameron Carrico at the time um, who won conference player of the year. 
you know, his senior year. So we had we had four uh, conference players of the year in in five year stretch, and it was all from the window of my brother transferring back and me coming to play with him, and that's kind of where it all started, and that's where all this talent that has come through there that has played well in the pro and the pro level um, came from that little window of time when my brother came back and and the residual effects of him doing that. Interesting. And going back before Murray State, speaking of places out west that consistently produce talent, Marshall County. And not being from here originally, I really would not have ever guessed if someone had pointed on the map and said, like, would you think that Marshall County would produce great golf talent? I would have no idea that they do because you've got yourself, your brother Nick, uh, Jay Nemo had a fantastic junior career, and now Trinity Beth is doing extraordinary things before she even begins her freshman year of high school. So what is it about Marshall County that has kind of been rich with producing this top-tier talent? I don't know. Uh, there's a lot of pretty good golf in Western Kentucky and a lot of ability for juniors. To, uh, I grew up at Benton Country Club, so it was pretty much uh, the daycare for all of us little kids when we were there. They'd drop us off at the pool and uh, – Parents would be at work, be at the pool on the golf course. You know, everyone had their own golf cart, or we'd go walk. So, and I think Calvert City is a lot like that. Uh, where Trinity Beth, I think she, that's where she plays. Um, mm -hmm. And you know, and Jay grew up at Benton Country Club as well. So it's one of those um, places where they're, you know, they foster junior golf. There's not like a big junior golf program, but there's a lot of junior golfers that play golf and travel together and play tournaments all summer and. Uh, and that's, I guess that's just kind of how it is. It's, it's very, very kid friendly in the area and, and it's just worked out pretty good. Now to that point for the kids out there listening to this, who maybe aren't in a Louisville or Lexington or Northern Kentucky even, and don't have like an extraordinary amount of resources to buy them. What kind of advice would you give to those kids and their families in terms of how they can thrive on the golf course and find success? I would say um, my parents were middle class and my dad did well and we were good. We were able to do a lot of things, but I never played AJGAs. I didn't have the money. We didn't have the money for me to go around the country. Even if, even when I started showing some promise, you know, I played the Robert Trent Jones tour, which is a very affordable tour. And I think the best thing to do is it doesn't matter what golf tournament you go play, uh, but play golf tournaments. Um, even if it's something small and there's only 10 people in it, you know, and it's, it's affordable and it's a local tournament. I mean, I would play the, the Calvert junior, um, tournament, uh, and there was only, you know, 20 people that played in it, you know, in my, in my thing in the area, um, you just playing golf tournaments, I think is the best way to do it. And it do, you don't have to play at the top level. Um, and you don't have to grow up at a really nice course. I grew up at a 6,200 yard golf course with no driving range. So did Jay Nemo. So, mm -hmm. um, and my brother as well. So it's, it's one of those, it's one of those things where it's get in competition. Don't even have to be tournaments, just competition, uh, play, you know, play match, play against your friends at, at your local club or anywhere you can play competition. It doesn't matter. It doesn't have to be elite tournaments. Just get competition in, learn how to win. Cause I've learned, in my career, my pro career, I've won a lot as a pro and 
a, I, a lot of it goes back to me being winning, even though I was winning small tournaments with not very many people and maybe not elite juniors, but I was winning and learning how to win is important. For sure. There's no substitute for competition. And that concludes my regular slate of questions for you. And at the end of each podcast, we do a rapid fire segment where I just toss out generic random questions, mostly golf, some not golf, but you don't need to give a reason for any of these answers that you're about to provide. So what is your favorite golf course in Kentucky? Benton Country Club. Your favorite golf course outside of Kentucky? The old course in St. Andrews, uh, Carnoustie, or Ocean Forest in Sea Island, Georgia. Those are my top three. Yeah, you can't go wrong with any of those. Uh, What is your dream foursome, and where would you all tee it up at? Uh, We would tee it up at the old course in St. Andrews. It would be me, my dad, my brother. uh, Me, my dad, my brother, Tiger, and Gary Player. So a fivesome. What golf course that you have not played yet are you most wanting to get out to someday? Probably Jordan's course. uh, Grove 23, I think Mm -hmm. is what it's called. Yeah, yeah. Uh, If you're playing a regular round of golf and you're not playing in a tournament, are you going to be walking or are you going to be riding? I'm going to be riding because we – I'm not a huge health nut if people can't tell by looking at me, but but we walk walk about eight miles a day when you're on tour. So I don't know know a single guy that would come back and play and and walk unless it was a nice club and – they had caddies and you were only walking like, but anytime i'm at sawgrass every pro's in a cart so yeah definitely in a cart gotcha how many holes in one do you have i was just thinking about this the other day i think it's five it could be six say five okay um what is your dream vacation spot in the world Any cruise. Any cruise, okay. I've only been on a, I've been on one cruise, but any pretty much any cruise. And then with this last one, I'm not sure how much time you have to do it at this point, given how often you're on the road or playing golf, but is there anything on Netflix, Disney Plus, Hulu, any streaming platform that you've been going hardcore with benching as of late? Uh, yes, and actually that's the one thing that – I am able to do. There's a lot of downtime at night and uh, I am traveling. I just finished Better Call Saul. Oh, yes. And I've been watching Westworld as well. So, yeah. But but Game of Thrones is my number one. I think that's everybody's though. Well, my, my fiance got me into Game of Thrones, but I've always been a huge fan of the Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul series. And I was not emotional about the fact that the show just ended but at the same time. That was a uh, very core piece of my evenings for the last several years that was finishing up and that was bittersweet. Oh, for sure. Better call. It was great. And it ended just how you like it ended just, it couldn't have been a better ending. That's exactly what you would expect me to do. Yeah. Like that, that was the one thing about better call Saul compared to breaking bad is it's so, 
you know, Breaking Bad, it's a slow burn at times, but Better Call Saul is oftentimes really slow at the start, but you just kind of have to keep going with it. And then those last couple of seasons, I'm getting chills just talking about it, is so dramatic, it's so well written. But yeah, it the way it ended, it's just like it's pretty uh it's pretty ho-hum. It's uh not explosive by any means. Breaking bad had a lot of flair to its finale, but yeah, Better Call Saul was pretty uh pretty cut and dry. And as you said, that's exactly the way it should have ended. Yeah, I think that's exactly what would have ended up happening to Saul. Yeah. Um, and then he fell on the sword at the end, even though he had that amazing deal. It was yep. awesome. Yeah. Well, Patrick, that's going to do it. I very much appreciate you coming on here, sir. Congrats once again on winning the state open and getting that monkey off your shoulders. Uh, hopefully we'll be able to have you back in 2023 to defend your title at Persimmon. But in the meantime, best of luck with everything you've got coming up in the next few months. And here's to uh, lots of success for you in Europe. Thank you, my man. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Um, I had a great time and, and we'll talk soon.